The following podcast contains adult language and themes and a couple mistakes. Listener discretion is advised. The one and only. Kina Man. Neighborhood Black Man. Ladies and gentlemen, keep your arms and legs inside the car at all times, because we're going there. Taboo Topics are back on the table. Hey, I'm Joe. I'm Matt. And I'm LaJohn. And this is the Going There Podcast. A recurring theme in my criminal justice courses at Kent State was always the prison system, how reform was needed. And there was always this idea of, is it rehabilitation that's happening or is it really just punishment? And of course, there's the huge influx of privately owned prisons and the incentive to incarcerate people. I'm excited about this and scared all at the same time because the first day the John and I talked in person, <laughs> as a quick aside, he's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I went to prison. I was like, the fuck? <laughs> and you know what? I love this man. <laughs> and even spending an hour with him before he told me that. It didn't change my opinion of him at all. It just made me love prison. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, take me, show me. No, I'll tell you, I'll tell you because like I've never judged him after he told me that. I've never thought of him differently. I've never been like, ooh, I don't want to give this man my credit card. In fact, I've handed him my credit card many a times. Mm-hmm. I trusted him to help me buy a car. Yeah. <laughs> like thousands of dollars. He's like, you just got to drive it over the border, yeah. meet this dude. I mean, yeah. my butt hurts from all the condoms of heroin I have in my butt, but... I've never let LeJohn tell me the story because by the time he started to get into it, which was like our fourth conversation, I was like, save it for the podcast. And we're going to be talking to some other callers today who have their own experiences. And I want to kind of look at this wholesale. What happens in prison? Why do people go to prison? Why are people put away? And why do people keep going back into the system? So LeJohn... The floor is yours. You know what? First and foremost, I want to thank you guys for even being willing to listen to this story. I don't know if it's an interesting, you know, like a uh, mind blowing story and everything, but it's it's my story. And and, and it is. And the people is. listening to the podcast have been listening to you for how many episodes? And they're like, wait a second. Like, wait, it's got some jailbirds. That should have been that should have been episode one. <laughs> Hi, I'm Joe. I'm Matt. And I'm a jailbird. And this right. is. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, that's true. I, th- I think I'll start out by saying life is so easy. Y- you are born and you're told what to do by mommy and daddy. You go to school, you do good work, you you graduate school and you either go to college and get a job, have kids and essentially repeat. Right. That's pretty much life. And I say that because nobody said, hey, LeJohn, in the process, make sure you do some dumb shit so you can go to prison. You know, and that that conversation never took place. So the point in that is I spent 180 days in a federal prison because of some dumb shit that I decided to do outside of what was already made easy for me. I didn't grow up in a household where, uh, where, you know, mom was cracked out and stuff and everything. And I didn't know my dad and all this kind of stuff. I I didn't that that was that was not my life. I sat out and said, you know what? I'm going to try this. See if I can get away with this. And I didn't. In the late summer 2006, I began working for the city of Cleveland uh, in the Office of Equal Opportunity. And what my responsibility was, I was a contract compliance officer. My responsibilities were to 
monitor contracts through the city of Cleveland in the departments of community development and economic development. So, for an example, the new convention center that's in downtown Cleveland, that was one of my projects. That, that would be economic development. After having some great success as a contract compliance officer, a lot of respect for what I did, a lot of respect for my colleagues and everything and, and making some good strides and stuff, just doing my job. One day I came across a, a contract for an economic development job where the people who were getting the contract pulled me to the side and said, hey, <laughs> jokingly, quote unquote, if you ever want to make a few bucks, you, know, you can help us with this uh, with this paperwork that we have to do for all this to get these contracts to do work in the city of Cleveland. You had to abide by certain guidelines and, and rules and regulations and everything. Along with that comes a lot of paperwork, a lot of bureaucracy. Exactly. Basically what it is. And uh, of course, you know, hey, I'm the one that's monitoring this stuff. I'm a contract compliance officer, making sure that you are in compliance for this contract. I always say there's truth in every joke. There was some truth in that joke. You really don't want to do this shit, do you? You really do, you, really, you really wouldn't mind somebody taking care of this paperwork for you. And as I said there and heard, I'm like, damn, I really could take care of that paperwork for you. So you were doing the paperwork that you would be doing in the office outside of office hours? On the behalf. On of, their behalf. On their behalf, though. You were doing it on the side. So essentially it was you were in breach of contract doing a conflict of interest, moonlighting, for something that went against your role. Exactly. Um, guilty is charged right here. <laughs> We've all done that at some point in our lives. Yeah, I was working for Pizza Hut and had an interview for Donato's once. <laughs> I, uh, yep, that's exactly the same. Is it? Okay. <laughs> Book them, Dano. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I have so many things I want to say. Oh, that, but keep, keep going. Oh, yeah, yeah. If it doesn't get much more salacious... It better get salacious. I'm about to I'm get. Saying. I'm about to get pissed on your behalf. Oh, but well, keep going. That's right. You, you, yeah, that probably will take place. So, for a certain amount, I did the paperwork that they were required to do on a monthly basis. They were meeting all the requirements anyway. They were just lazy and just didn't want to do the work. And you're working for the city, which means you were likely underpaid anyway. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh wait, I can make a few extra bucks on the side. True. Look, I'm not. I'm not condoning it. Breaking sure. the law is breaking the law. Yeah. But if this was a private company, you would have been fired. And maybe fined. Yeah, you're probably correct. But with me being a city representative. Absolutely. That, it's government. That's definitely different. And they they called me a person of powerful influence, which I was not. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you would say right this way, people would follow. It was it was LeJohn so. 1, the city hall janitor number two. <laughs> right, people exactly. of influence. Yes, yes. They, they can make big time decisions and shit. There were lots of stories that I was privy to that were happening in the school system and in the other city system, I'm not saying let's justify one thing for the other. Sure, sure. But because these people were actually powerful and were connected, mm -hmm. at worst, they got a slap on the wrist. No one went to jail. Oh, bro. Oh, yeah. No one yeah. went to jail that I knew of. Yeah. When you're higher up, you get less. When you're a low piece of shit like I was and just came across an opportunity, you get the shit. And you get shitted on. And again, I'm not saying that personally to say that, hey, listen, you know, give me the pity party and everything. They put me in prison. No, I was wrong. I committed a crime. But the time that I got in regards to the crime and everything, especially when I tell you the amounts that I got booked for, <laughs> it's ridiculous. So this contract came and went, was successful, if you will, as far as, you know, hitting the purpose and move on. And if you weren't, if you weren't the guy filling out their paperwork and somebody else was who didn't work for the government, there would have been zero problem no, correct at all it would have been because it's not like you were like 
making shit up or no. getting illegal people into the system or anything no. like that. No. Okay. Now here's where the real trouble comes in because that's how I got started into getting into my shit. <laughs> now the, the the hamster wheel is rolling. I'm like, okay, wait a minute. So, huh? You got away with it, and you got that confidence. Oh yeah. And I'm like, well, what if I take the the weight off of some companies who really, really, I know for a fact don't want to go through this shit and everything. So I start reaching out to them and saying, hey, listen. I know you got this contract and everything. I know the city's giving you a hard time with all these numbers and bureaucracy shit and all that kind of stuff. Check this out. You let me take some of the weight off you and everything and, and, and save you some time. That's where the problem was because now I'm the one that's putting in the effort reaching out to companies to essentially shake them down. And it was broken down to be extortion. That's what my charge were was. Were you actually shaking them down or were you offering your services i was offering my services i wasn't like you know putting them up against the wall and everything and and, and if grabbing you them don't the do this you'll never get in exactly none of that kind of stuff i simply was just offering the service again i mean i look without judging you i'm not saying what you did was right i'm just saying in the corporate world depending on who you are unless you're the scapegoat or the the sacrificial lamb you're not going to prison for that shit you're getting fired and you might it might show up on your record, but problem was my dumb ass reached out to one of the wrong individuals, or I could also say I reached out to a particular company and the lady said, um, let me get back to you. And the moment we disconnected, she called the FBI and said, hey, this person's trying to shake us down and essentially offer his services and everything you know, while he's a, a city employee. And was she wrong in regards to what I was trying to do? No. And then I became an, uh, a federal target and I was followed. And you and didn't know she called the FBI no, I didn't know that. many I didn't, years. I didn't know that. She, she goes, hold on. I want to patch in. A friend. <laughs> exactly yeah. right. Then I was followed in track for about a month and a half, August of 2010, 2011, something like that. I was going to pick up some funds in which I thought I was making a successful business transaction for the services I was offering. Next thing you know, I swear to God. Three black SUVs almost rose from the ground, like from the dirt, because I have no idea to this day where they came from, because uh, it was an empty park. And next thing I know, I was surrounded by black cars and was being escorted into the back of one of them. While I'm in the back seat, the FBI agent, to who this day is a great friend of mine, he said to my face, he said, listen, we've been following you for the last month and a half. You have not gone on any lavish trips. You have not bought any big screen TVs. You have not went to a strip club and made it rain. Every time we were, we're, we're tracking you, you're with your kids, you're at Walmart, you spent like a grand at Dave and Buster's. We don't have a criminal. We have a guy who saw an opportunity and got caught. That's exactly what he told me. From the moment I got into the back seat, I said, listen, I don't need a, a notebook as far as who I can snitch on, all this kind of stuff. No, if anything, I need a mirror because it was all me. And I told the truth and I was open and honest from day one, from the moment I got in that back seat. And that's the respect level that became between me and this gentleman. And they fought their ass off for me to prevent any kind of time. I was wow. officially on record for $5,000 receiving illegal extortion, yeah, extortion okay. or whatever, and got six months for that. And here's the thing. The judge basically gave me probation, but the prosecutor was banging on the table. Hey, listen, this guy was making phone calls and doing it again. We got to give him something. And the judge was like, okay, fuck it. Six months, whatever. Just <laughs> what? You went from zero to six months? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went from probation possibly to six months. And you ended up serving all six months? I served 180 days in the uh, Morgantown Federal Prison Facility. We're going to talk to in a moment here 
one of your fellow inmates, but about a decade prior. Oh, shit. In December of 1995, the New York Times published an article about the judge, Michael Gallagher, 39 years old at the time, facing 20 years in prison and a maximum of $1 million in fines and the possible loss. I love that it's possible loss of his law license. And joining us on the phone is the one and only Michael Gallagher. Thanks so much for joining us. Glad to be here, man. Thanks for welcoming me. So what is your story, Mike? Uh, I guess people that like to do drugs shouldn't go to law school and be lawyers and judges because they, they really frown on that shit. I thought they loved cocaine. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I got caught. There was a couple other judges I knew that were doing it, but I think they were more discreet about it. I was just way out there. Too many people knew about it. You went to prison for, was it drug trafficking? Is that what the charges were? No, the charge under federal law was distribution of cocaine. There were four other charges, but they were so but they were crap. <laughs> they were just thrown in there to maybe to get me to plead to the distribution, which never really was distribution because under federal law, sharing cocaine, that is distribution of cocaine. But however, there was no sharing. The guy refused the guy refused the line and he arrested me. He pulled out his gun, his badge, said you're under arrest, and then they took that line for evidence. Damn. Wow. So you passed the bar, you were a practicing attorney. The story is really bizarre and, and interesting as how you became judge. Yeah, the legend holds I was elected for $50. <laughs> is that bribe money or is that your campaign fund? No, that was not my campaign fund. That was the filing fee you had to pay at the Board of Elections to file your petitions to run for judge. What did I have to? I don't know. Somehow I got these signatures. <laughs> I, I, guess maybe I, I don't know how law it. works. It's, it's a long time ago. Sign but a line, talking, get a line. We're talking, 19, we're talking 1990. I ran for judge 30 years ago. Shit. We filed. I paid the $50 and I stayed home, never formed a campaign committee, never <laughs> campaigned. I won. So, yeah. the joke, so the joke is, the legend is, I was elected for $50, but it wasn't enough for a full term. I didn't. I only lasted five years of my six. Were you a county, state, or city judge? I can't remember. Cuyahoga County, Common Pleas Judge, General Division. I presided over murder, rape, robbery, all felony cases. Did you get tried in that same court? Oh, absolutely not. I was charged under federal law, thank Well, maybe not, thank God, because under state law, they had nothing. Under state law, that was sheer entrapment because he came to my place four times before and I said no. And he came the fifth time and I was already so high. <laughs> he got me. I mean, I'm so high. This cocaine was so good. I'm so Damn. high. All he had to do, all he had to do was bring over an ice cold 12 pack of my favorite beer, Miller High Life. In the middle of the summer when it was 90 degrees, I sit and I kick it with this girl I knew. We kicked it at a few beers. Next thing I know, I'm offering him a line. So the real crime is just leaving that nice ass line in, in evidence locker forever. Kids don't share drugs. <laughs> the real problem was doing drugs in the first place. 
I'd still be a judge. So, Mike, fast forward. You get sentenced to prison. How long did you spend in prison? 365 days. Wow. So out of the 20 years you were potentially facing, you only served a year. I pled to a year because my lawyer told me if I didn't plead, they were going to give me 10. We actually, uh, you and I, Mike, did some vacation at the same location in Morgantown. No shit. Yeah, I got to Morgantown like right at the start of the softball season because I was on the team that won the compound championship and got a souvenir t-shirt out of it. You actually got a t-shirt. They didn't give me shit. I went, I went to prison and all I got was this t-shirt. <laughs> well, John's like, I didn't get this t-shirt. I'm going back there and I'm getting that t-shirt. After two months, I worked my way into the law library and then my life was sweet. He's like Brooks. Remember yeah. Brooks, the librarian from Shawshank? Yeah, that's right. But I got even, I was better than that. I, I actually helped guys with their motions and appeals. Oh, nice. So you were kind of like Andy and Brooks. I even got three of them out. And let me tell you, I was everybody's friend. After like three, four months, I was untouchable. <laughs> Let's get into your time in federal prison and what that experience was like for you. Well, the only advice I could give to anyone with a federal case is whatever you do, don't lose your bond. Because if you stay out on bond, you can self-report to your cushy institution but if you're in jail and you're in custody you're not out on bond you go on this journey that's just horrific you spend a couple months in mile in michigan you spend a month in oklahoma city they're looking up your butt every new place you go to and i was even at the usp lewisburg for a day it was so scary i was so scared. I told the driver, I ain't supposed to be here. <laughs> <laughs> he looked at me and told me, get out. <laughs> You're here. I'm a judge, damn it. Yeah, do you know who my father is? It was the only place I went to where they didn't throw me in general population. The lieutenant looked at my file said, former judge, huh? You're going to the hole for your own good. Because he knows I, I could have got killed in that place. What specific specifically more scary about that place, USP? Well, you arrive and there's a tall barbed wire fence. There are solid steel gates. There are guards with guns and towers. It, it, it was just a dungeon. It was disgusting. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen the inside of Mansfield prison yeah, in Ohio. Yeah. It, it was it was that filthy and disgusting, at least where I was in the hole. And its reputation preceded it? Because you said you were scared while you were pulling up, so you weren't in the hole yet. Yeah. Yeah, I took one look at the place and said, what the No, fuck? no, no, I'm a judge. <laughs> that guy let me know, that, that the driver, he let me know, you're here, get the F out, you know. He was done, he wouldn't, he had no explanation to me. I want to hear LeJohn's. Morgan Freeman be like, my friend, Mike Gallagher, I saw him when he came yeah, in that day. Yeah. They threw him straight in the hole. They know he wasn't going to make it. The first time I laid eyes on Mike Gallagher, I knew we were going to be friends. There was something about that him. Is <laughs> he called, crawled through three football fields of shit that day. <laughs> That's what's the difference between the federal system and the state system. Now, seeing the federal system, they'll protect you. 
They'll protect you if you need protected. And when you're in general population, they watch you. They don't let stuff happen. In Ohio, state prisons, oh, man, they don't protect you. They turn their backs. They let anything happen to you. It's so sad. I feel so bad for people that do state time. They are really going to suffer. Is it because of budgets or? I don't know. I've never been there to give you the reasons and glad I haven't. But just the stories are horrific about how the guards just let anything happen. I think maybe because they're bribed. I, I don't know. Studying criminal justice, we talked to people who were prison guards. A lot of the stories you hear is these guys are underpaid. Like any other kind of law enforcement, have all these other problems going on in their personal life. And it's almost like free reign to just kind of take it out on whoever the fuck deserves it that day is at least from the stories that I've heard when people are being pretty honest about it. Yeah, that makes sense because they're, they're also in prison too. And that's, that's one thing that that's one thing I, I remember um, a lot of the, the guards saying like, listen, the only difference between you and I is at some point I get to go home for the night, but I'll be yeah. right back in here and in prison again with you the next day. And, and we're all this shit together. Unless you're Jeffrey Epstein, he got to go home for the day, just had to come back to prison at night. That's a different story. Exactly. So it's late 90s. You get out of prison. What happens next and what's your life like? February 7th, 1997, I was released from SCI Morgantown. My best friend forever, my BFF Billy, picked me up and drove me back to Cleveland. After a while of being out, whatever, doing whatever, 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 I... He took me to my mom's. That's the only place I, I mean, I could have stayed with my friend, but I thought I'd get in trouble if I did. So my mom and dad were very forgiving. They're good parents, and they took me in till I could put myself back on my feet. I got a couple jobs, one at Giant Eagle, and then one at a, a bookstore, Baldwin Wallace College bookstore. I got back on my feet, saved up enough money to get my own apartment. My ex-wife gave me my little girls back. Then I proceeded to raise my kids on a pretty much minimum wage job and a part-time job, and we made it. I think we're starting to see a little bit more of moving towards uh, progressive mindsets on it. But for somebody like yourself, nonviolent offenders, there's that stigma. What was that transition like? You know, did you finally get to a point where you're like, this is bullshit? No, no. I had four little kids to take care of. I wasn't turning my back on them. The thing about it, Matt, is I'm one of the lucky ones. Most most guys that end up in prison, they don't have a loving mom and dad that they can come, you know, that's willing to take them in when they're 40 years old because they screwed up. You know, it, it's, it's just not, it doesn't happen. I'm one of the lucky ones, you know, but they made it clear you're going to go out there, you're going to get a job, you're going to get two jobs. You're going to get you back on your feet and you're going to get out of here. We just want to help you get back on your feet because, you know, if we don't, we think you'll go back to prison. And you know what? I think if I'd hung out with my buddy, I would have because it's just so easy to how you say fall back. But the thing is, you know, when I got out of prison, you know, after being locked up for a year, Matt, guess what? You don't want to get locked up again. So I kept, I, kept, I kept my nose clean. Literally had to keep your yeah. nose clean. <laughs> I mean, we're talking, we're talking no drinking, no smoking weed, no doing cocaine, no fun at all. Go to work, 
take care of your kids and then do what you're supposed to do and quit being an asshole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, stick to something that works. Prison Mike, I have a question for you. What was it like being a judge and sending people to prison? I never sent anyone to prison who didn't deserve it. I would have never sent a first-time drug offender to prison with four little kids. I'm, but you did send people to prison, right? But yeah, for rape and murder and robbery and hurting people. For you, it was your parents. You had a support system outside of prison. Not everybody has that. What do you think keeps people from going back, from repeating the same mistakes? Well, the number one reason not to go back is to change your lifestyle to quit thinking you can get away with stupid stuff. You just can't do drugs when you get out of prison or you'll go back. And as long as you can cross that hurdle, then the next big hurdle is you got to get out there and get a job. Do you feel like the longer you would have been in personally, the easier it would have been to go back? On the one hand, you've been in prison a while, right? Yeah. So you want to go back less than if you only got a little taste of it. But then on the other hand, there's people that say, after you've been in there so long, your life is destroyed. You're what's called institutionalized, mm -hmm. like Brooks. You just want to go back. That's that's such a big problem. And when LeJohn was talking about you have people, they throw the book at them and they give them too long of a sentence or they had a bad lawyer or uh, the judge was racist or whatever it might be. And then you have somebody who didn't deserve to do this, but then they're kind of put into the system and they don't know what life is like outside of the system after a certain point. Exactly. And that to me is one of the most heartbreaking and, and most broken things about our justice system. Oh yeah, yeah, it's some bullshit. But go ahead, Mike, I wanna hear your, your, your take on that. Most people don't deserve to be thrown away like garbage. I think the state of Ohio especially, not so much the federal government, because I was in federal prison. And what I saw inside federal prison was the federal government actually legitimately tried to help people reform themselves and prepare themselves for the outside world upon their release. They were taking GED tests. They were teaching substance abuse classes, AA classes, and they tried to give you the tools you needed to succeed when you got out. But I still say if you didn't have a family system to fall back on to help you, still it's going to be difficult, even if you utilized all those tools. But the state prison, you can forget about it. They don't give a shit about you. You've been thrown away. We're going to talk specifically about Ohio being the first state to sell private prisons. Usually the stuff is contracted out, but they were the first state to actually sell the physical prison so that a private company could own it. And what the problems with the private sector of uh, the justice system look like. But Mike, thank you so much for your time, man. We really appreciate this. This has been awesome. And uh, we appreciate your candor as always. And, and, uh, and especially your levity that you bring to it because we had some good laughs. So Definitely. thank you so much. I want to thank you for inviting me. And, you know, I want to say I appreciate the time and you know, I just I appreciate your, your your panel. I thought this was a good experience. I enjoyed it. We had one of our musicians who reached out who wanted to be highlighted, and he was very specific about being on this episode. He's passionate about prison reform and trying to look at how we can change things in the community. And his name is Keenan Rush, and he's out of Atlanta. 
Keenan was raised in the congregations in East Atlanta churches, performing old hymns, and he kind of learned the power and influence in creative communication, and it eventually inspired him to pick up the pen and start telling stories about his life. His records captivate audience with anecdotes that people can relate to. Most recently, he released his latest album, Long Live the Keen. Since he's just working to engage audiences throughout the pandemic in creative ways to continue to promote his new album, service community, and be a uh, voice for justice. So check him out, Keenan Rush. Neighborhood black man up in this bitch. I had to forget how it was so I could tell it how it is. Came up in a system where they tried to plot against him, but they couldn't stop him from being the situation's end. Damn, these niggas hating, thought I wouldn't make it. Start to think that they could create a limitation for him. Until him had to do what he do best. You can't stop that, which is meant for success. Come from the heart, see women lie and men lie, y'all lying and chalk. Just do or die, some niggas rather lie than be at fault. Running from your problems wasn't synonymous with a boss. How you started from the bottom, but you never took a loss. And you never paid the cost. I've been steady making payments. We got it out the mud, then we hustled on the pavement. Was up to no good. Thank the Lord for his grace. It's no surprise when we look how far we made it. But we still chase. All right, so we just listened to some good music, and we're going to talk a little bit more about music and how the arts can help people stay out of trouble and stay out of the system. Speaking to us now is Dennis, a Cleveland actor and an activist and a musician, and he's going to tell us a little bit about the program where he works with juveniles in the system and the arts. Hey, Dennis. Hey, Matt. How are you? Good to talk to you. So, Dennis, say your last name since I kept butchering it on my outtakes. It's Castiglione. I mean, you'd think me, a Dago, I could pronounce such an Italian name like that. But <laughs> who do you work with and what is this? It's such an awesome program, something to do that gives them this outlet. And those things get stripped away. And it's so important when people like Dennis jump in and add them back in. And, and what's awesome is he's working with juveniles, but these things happen in the state and federal prisons as well. Absolutely. You know, arts education in general are important to the development of, you know, personality and a culture and, and uh, the individual. And when those programs are missing, whether it's in public schools or private schools or in, in our jails, it, it deprives those kids from, from development. And, and really, that's what Power of Harmony is all about. Now, Power of Harmony is a program that I was lucky to start uh, with the Wank Foundation uh, back in 2019 as a, as a member of the Wank Foundation. And, and at the time, we were partnering with an organization called Harmony Foundation International, which is an organization that supports singing groups. And I've since migrated to Harmony Foundation International, and this is my life's work. Uh, so my job is is bringing music into the juvenile correctional facilities, into youth prisons, uh, to give them a creative outlet to uh, to channel their talents. It has certainly the, the, uh, therapeutic support. It's a chance to um, establish singing as a core personal and community asset, but very specifically multi-part acapella singing. So it's an ideal way to introduce music to youth in the facilities, but get them working together on something and making a sound together. You know, it's the, the sum of the parts uh, 
being uh, greater than, than, than the individual, right? We built it on four pillars, if you will. Uh, one is to bring performances into the facility and then education, literally teaching them all the basics and, and theory and fundamentals of, of good music and vocal production. And then thirdly, participation, because if you're just learning about it, but you don't get a chance to really play it out and perform, you're really missing that gem, that chance to stand up in, in front of your peers or in front of perfect strangers and, and make beautiful music for them. And then the fourth piece and probably most important is mentorship. And that is, that's a missing element uh, for all these young men is once they're out, they're kind of on their own. And if there isn't a positive influence in their lives to guide them down the right path, they're never going to break that cycle and they're going to be stuck. They'll be right back inside again, or at least not headed down the path that they were dreaming about while they were behind bars. We're talking to facilities throughout the country, not just here about taking this, this program nationally. So we're pretty jazzed about it. Fun intended. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Dennis, I got to give you a lot of credit because if you were to ask me, do you want to go into an adult federal prison with some of the roughest criminals or a juvenile detention facility? I'd pick the federal prison. <laughs> Talk about a tough <laughs> crowd, because I remember myself. I mean, when you're when you're a young guy, man, like adults suck. Oh, I want to do your music. You know, it's like, that's stupid. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. But from what you were sharing with me, you actually got a pretty good response from the program and from the offering. Part of it is posturing inside. I mean, you got to protect yourself in a lot of ways when you're in there. So part of it is don't, don't show the soft underbelly. Don't let anybody know you're enjoying this because someone is going to take that away from you if they, if they think you're enjoying it. Because why should you have fun when I'm not kind of thing, right? So first time they had every resident in the building in the same room at the same time. I mean, huge risk. I mean, stuff could have happened. No two ways about it. But so we started performing for them and, and everybody in the house, but with very few exceptions, it was all about the whole show me posture, you know, slouched in the seat, uh, heads hanging down or messing with each other, or call, you know, making noise. And I'm thinking, uh, whew, we got a long way to go here. And then when they finished, they were all hooting and hollering and, and cheering and stuff. So and that really kind of turned the corner. So I thought, you know what, that just maybe, right. You know, we're going to let them know, Hey, we're going to talk a little bit about this power of harmony program. You are welcome to stick around to, to talk with us and to sing with us. And we'll teach you some stuff or you can go back to the unit. It's really kind of up to you. There were 98 of them there. And when the doors opened, they sent them back to the units and they closed the doors. We still had 40 left, which shot the hell out of me. I had no idea that we could keep 40 there. And that was before they knew there was punch and cookies coming. There's a potential here. And I want these guys understanding that this is something they can do that nobody can take away from them. And if they want to keep doing it, there's ways for us to connect you with opportunities on the outs that will give you a chance to continue singing and something positive to look forward to at least once a week. It's all about giving them something positive to look forward to and something that might possibly change their trajectory on the outside. That's that's really what they need. That is so huge, man, because these guys are so forgotten, man, when, when, when the time is done and they're just stuck to their own devices and, and just to the streets and just whatever. And that's where yeah. that return comes in. But when you have functioning programs that allow them to have that hope and to ha allow them to have some kind of engagement of something that is real and genuine on the outside and th that they already and they already had a taste of it on the inside. That's what's awesome. I love that. There's a bigger, uglier, colder piece to that, to be honest with you. And that is as soon as they go behind bars, they're forgotten. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. That's the one thing that's that struck me most. And I've been working with them since 2011. There are times when we go there 
that we are the only ones they see from the outside with the exception of staff. Yeah. That unfortunately is, is all too common. And that's where that damn cycle continues, right? Because the only transportation they know is the guy that they rode with, you know, when they committed the crime. So they hop in his car and next thing you know, back in the cycle again. So I want them hopping in the car with a guy that's been working with them inside in a music program that can drive them to the church to sing in the choir, drive them to the men's chorus to sing, drive them to an acapella group that's singing in the outside that they can be a part of. The interesting part about this is how taken they are when they realize you are there for them. Yeah. That blows them away. They can't even they can't even fathom that. I remember one time one of the guys said, so why do you come here? And he says, you could just be hanging at home or you know whatever. And, and I said, yeah, I come here because it, it makes me feel good. He goes, coming here makes you feel good. I said, yeah, because I realize that I'm, I'm here for you. And, and if you need me when you're out, I'm here. They're still looking for someone that gives a damn when they get out. You know, I, I'm not a hero, but I see what's missing. And, uh, you know, I just want to be able to do that. Well, and the cool thing is, even though it's it really hasn't been that long since you've been doing it, you've already seen the impact. And even if it's anecdotal, even if it's in small doses, you've seen the impact when they get on the outside, which is really what it's all about. Yeah, that's for sure. Dennis, is there a uh, URL or somewhere that you can send people if they're interested in this program? Absolutely. So the URL is harmonyfoundation.org. And you'll find the Power of Harmony icon right on that homepage. And click on that and you get a more in-depth story about um, the Power of Harmony. So harmonyfoundation.org is the URL. And thank you for asking, Matt. Thank you for what you do. You know, you do a societal good for all of us, uh, whether or not we have somebody in our lives directly who are impacted. We're all impacted when somebody serves the community. So thank you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Dennis, thank you so much for that, man, because it's it's what you're doing, that good feeling you're talking about, it's it's like a drug, and it's a drug that just keeps on getting better and better, man. So keep on going after that that particular drug, if you if you dig what I'm saying. Absolutely. That feeling is what puts me in the car driving down to the facility, because I know how I'm going to feel when I come home from there, you know, why it's so important. So thank you for thanking me. Exactly. I dig it, man. LeJohn, I have a question for you. With everything that happened how are you able to um, live with yourself knowing you spent $1,000 at David Buster's? <laughs> well, for the reasons and why I did it, it's, it, hey, I felt great about it, but I could have chose a whole bunch of other different places um, besides David Buster's. There was another location called the Boneyard that uh, that essentially was just like David Buster's Jr., and I uh, I spent a lot of money there too. That was that was documented. But. So you spent a thousand dollars, and what you get like a tiny stuffed bear? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, a stuffed bear or, or a bag of uh, candy. You have sixty million tickets. You you can pick between this bag of candy or that fucking bear. Yeah. <laughs> but, and nothing else. Yeah. yeah. No, but you know what? I will say it's not nothing. You gave your kids a good time and good oh, memory. Yeah. yeah, great memory. Now mm-hmm. I do have to jump on Joe's bandwagon and judge you for spending a thousand dollars. Oh yeah. Busters. I mean we would seriously man we if you're like going to Vegas and spend a grand but yeah yeah that makes sense. But meanwhile if I did that I probably would have get gotten more time. Because True. that just they would be like, oh, you're you're just doing this for personal pleasure gain. But how do you even spend a thousand dollars at Dave and Buster's? Well, no, it wasn't like a one time. It was like oh, multiple. I thought trips. it was like one trip. Oh, no, no, and no, no, no. I, was... no, I just want to see the Law and Order episode where Sam Waterston's up there being like, 
Your Honor, this man spent a thousand dollars at David Buster's, <laughs> and, and the judge is just like life in prison. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Sir, just tickets you can't. Out you... <laughs> yeah, he's so, like, okay, you get one shot at the skee ball. If you hit the, <laughs> <laughs> this is it, kids. Yeah. <laughs> the prison system is fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Although, at least you got to play something on your way. That's true. That's true. I gave it all the good, kids. Did you think at the time if I ever get caught, I'll go to prison? Or was it like, I mean, what are they going to do? Kind of both. It was like, hey, you know, hey, listen, okay, I'd be fine. I mean, if I, if I get if I get popped or anything, I'd be all right. But um, but even if I did get popped, I mean, it couldn't be that bad, right? And at one point kind of in conversations with the, with the authorities in the process leading up to me being, you know, officially charged and everything and, and all that kind of stuff, there was like, uh, did you ever think that you weren't going to get caught? Or did you ever think that you weren't going to go to possibly go to prison? I'm like, I never really thought about it. And the reason I think also why I never thought about it was because of what, it, what I was doing. Um, again, splurging on strips, strippers and stuff like that and, and big screen TVs and lavish trips. Then it would have it would have felt more like, OK, yeah, this is really, really jacked up. And I'm and I, I could be looking at some time as a result. But it was just like a second job. Pretty much. And then, dude, and, and straight to Walmart and straight, you know, to, to get clothes and stuff and everything and stuff for the kids and and and, and fun trips. And it's to like Dave and Buster's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the process of being uh, followed and uh, documented. Um, I, I remember one of the agents saying, yeah, uh, your son sure can hit that ball. He was referring to every Sunday we would go to the park and play baseball. And they were watching me. They saw me. And, they, and that's when they say it, like, again, in the back. They're seat. like, dude, you're the most boring fucking person we've ever <laughs> yeah, followed. I mean, like, we, <laughs> we got put on this case thinking, here's some dude extorting money. We're going to chase him to Vegas. Like, and, yeah, yeah. and instead, this son of a bitch is going to Dave and Buster's and baseball games. Let me get this straight. This guy's an actual dad and doing dad shit. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what it was, man. Agent Johnson, you're going to go on a sting case, <laughs> except you're going to follow paint dry. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, seriously, man. That's a pretty equivalent. I self-reported because I wasn't considered a threat. So <laughs> my brother, Big Lou, he uh, he actually drove me to West Virginia. Have fun on your first day in prison. <laughs> right. <laughs> the first day, here I am getting dropped off, and I'm dapping up my brother. All right, man, I'll see you in six months. I'll see so you, you I mean, you didn't have to show up in chains no. off a bus? No. Well, okay. Self-reported. I mean, got in the car because you were in a high. You were in a flight risk. No, I wasn't a flight risk. Because no. even when you had the money, you weren't going anywhere. Did you have to no. call them and you're like, I hit traffic. I'm gonna be a little late. <laughs> no, <it's> like, <laughs> that'd have been funny as shit. Too. No, no, no. I'm, I'm sick today. Can I come in tomorrow? <laughs> right. <laughs> and speaking of money, I paid back every dime that I was documented for extorting before I went in. God damn it. Let me ask you this: <laughs> Do you think if I had committed that crime, no, you would. You'd been fine. You'd been at home chilling. Yeah. Not once have you ever. Asked for pity, taken pity, said I didn't deserve it, any mm. of that. No. But you believe in your heart of hearts, mm. 100%, if a white man who looked like me, mm. clean-cut white boy mm. from the suburbs, had done the exact same thing, it would have been like, look, he's a good guy. He's never committed anything like this. Let's just give him probation. He knows he made God sad. Yeah, he made God <laughs> cry, so he'll say seven Hail Marys and pay back the money. Yeah. And then probation or house arrest for six months or so. Yeah. yeah. Money was paid back, I think, a month and a half before I even got sentenced. See, if this was civil court, this was somebody suing you, they couldn't claim damage if you paid back the money. Mm -hmm. 
But and, and I'm not saying that there shouldn't be some form of retribution uh, in the form of rehabilitation to make sure you don't repeat the crime. Uh-huh. But I still find it a little fucked up because it's like at this point, fire him from the job. I resigned. Put that black mark on his record and move on. Anyway, first day in prison. The first day was the worst day. And, and I have days that I actually remember the actual day. I remember day 139 because I remember what happened. Um, I remember day 118 because I remember what happened. But first day, um, I get, again, dropped off by Lou. Dap him up. All right, man, appreciate the ride. You know what I'm saying? A little bro hug. As he's getting ready to pull off, a car comes behind him, and the reaction is completely different. This man gets out the car. His wife is bawling, crying. I mean, just losing it hysterically and everything. And he's just trying to comfort her as best as possible. We both go through the processing and we're both sitting in what you call, I guess, D block. We're just sitting in the waiting cell. We've been stripped down, butt naked. We've been searched, assholes split apart, you know, cavities, all kind of stuff and everything, searching your mouth. Earlobes, all that shit and everything. Did they still hit you with the saltpeter stuff? No, no, no. That's 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 old school. Shawshank, old school. Yeah. <laughs> what do they do instead? Strip you down, and that's it. And then um, then they issue you prison clothes, which is essentially just like nurse scrubs and shit, and give you like these slippers. And I got there in December, and those slippers were not working out. So I had to go to the get some uh, get the wait, issue wait, wait, wait. like they were cold. You wait, were wait, wait. you were so cold. Yeah. You had slippers. Like they literally are like like slide ins, like these like um. Almost like kids, you know, like, you know, you know, yeah, kids. Like, yeah, like slip ons, but that's what you wear even in the yard and everything. No, no, no. That's just when you get there. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. And then, and then okay. they give you the, the, uh, the prison issued boots, which probably have two sheets of paper for insoles. Sure, <laughs> sure. It's ridiculous, man. It's about your comfort. Right, sure. right. As we're sitting down in the processing, uh, waiting to get our assignments as far as what units we were going to, what our housing units or whatever, the natural question is, hey, how long you got? And I say, yeah, man, six months. I ask the question in return, what you got? Ten years. That's why it was so different. And this man ended up being one of my best friends in there, white guy. Love him to death. Still talking to this every day. Yeah, so that's that was day one. And and when I say day one was the hardest, is is mainly because the acceptance. Like, this is real. I am really here. This ain't a joke. This ain't like a a, a experiment and everything. And I okay, that was fun for two hours and then I'm going back home. I'm here. And I am not going back home. I'm not going to be able to see my kids. This is really happening. Part of it is to break you, right? Yeah, hell yeah. Especially when you when you like they they strip you of all your clothes and everything, man. You're just sitting there ass naked, and this guy is just straight up treating you like a piece of meat. Search here, been there, all this kind of stuff and everything. You're just another criminal. I don't care about your story. I don't care if you really weren't guilty. I don't care if you were super super guilty. I don't care if you're I don't care if you're a great guy. I don't care if you're a father, uh, uh, brother, uncle, none of that kind of stuff. You're just another criminal. Am I to be mad at them for that? I'm here on my own terms. Like I said in the beginning, yeah. man, life is really easy. Humans fuck shit up because we find a way to fuck shit up. Did you break down at any point that day? No, not at all. I, I knew why I was there. I knew, you know what also helped me? Not that even if I didn't hear his story, but 10 years to six months, I was going to be fine in that regard because I long accepted where I was. Let's just go ahead and knock this shit out. I documented each day. I made a journal. I have a document. Uh, one paragraph of just the events of that day. The reality hit real quick. Of course, communication is nothing because, you know, unless you reach out to your family and everything, you know, you're not talking to anybody except through letters and shit, which they read before you even get them. So here I am. Each day comes and goes and, and I eventually end up getting a job. I end up working and I worked in the kitchen, sweeping floors and mopping floors and wiping down tables and stuff. And it was that life. I, here I am. Did time move like 
slower than anything? Or? Some days were faster than others. And, I, and, I, and whenever I talk to my daughter and she said, when are you coming home? I say, listen, when the leaves come back on the trees, you'll see daddy coming home. And I found myself always looking at the damn trees. Like, I know when I'm going home. Yet still, I'm like, damn. Like, I'm like the government signed up for that contract, too. <laughs> They're like, oh, shit, it budded early. We got Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> the daily prison experience, you do you. And what you bring is what you get. If I walked into prison, the moment I got there, I'm walking around with my fist balled up and everything, and I'm looking at everybody with a mug face and shit, you know what I'm saying? I'm just looking at bitch. If I did all that kind of stuff, that's exactly what I'm going to get. Okay, because they're gonna say, "Oh, that's the kind of life you want to live in here." We're gonna make sure you get that life, right? Um, that's the universe doing that too. Exactly, yeah, exactly. One of my favorite quotes is <laughs> actually from Mike Dicta. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's his own words, but he said, "Wherever you are in the world, that's where it's at." I love that. I tell that to my kids all the time. Wherever you are in the world, hey, that's where it's at because that's because because you're there. And what that meant for me was, <laughs> I became a superstar <laughs> in the prison. This is what happened. That every Wednesday night, there was karaoke night. And this guy, he was getting close to getting on his way up out of there. And he used to host it. And he didn't have time to do it anymore. I would always just sit in and see him and watch him host and everything. And I would sit back in my seat like, man, I can, I can kill this shit, man. I can blow this bitch apart. And while I would go, there would probably only be like seven people in the auditorium. I went on stage one day and I, I performed Toto, Hold the Line. Love isn't always on. So, <laughs> so, and he was like, man, you rock that shit out, man. I had I had the, the few people who were there going and everything, cheering and shit. And I'm like, yeah. He was like, look, man, you, you want to you wanna run this? And the payment was a bag of Gatorade. That I got what paid, they have them in like, bags, like the mix, the powder. Oh. Yeah, that was that was my payment. He's like, yeah, I'll get you, uh, I'll get you a bag every uh, every Wednesday. I don't know. I, I don't know what to say. Like me, me, and me, and I just I I, I brought up some flair and everything, and I was I would pump up the people who came on stage to sing their songs and stuff and everything, and and word spread. Listen, one night, like I said, on average it was seven or eight people in the auditorium. One night, I know for a fact we had 150 people in that auditorium well, for Wednesday night karaoke, and I'd always say, Hey, listen. If you're in here, you're in the best place in West Virginia right now. And we're in prison. (laughs) Yeah, we're in prison. The the point I'm getting at is I brought my genuine self because doing that is the same thing I would do on the outside. Yeah. Well, you brought light into their dark lives. Yeah. That's an awesome point. And this is one of the things I wanted to bring up. It's not how I feel, but it's something I hear all the time. You have people who aren't really educated on the subject, typically, from what I've seen. When I've read these kinds of like messages and posts is you have these criminals in prison and they have the Internet and they have TVs and they're doing fun things like it's good. All they they get to eat free food and work out all the time. Yeah. (laughs) And they and they say it like it needs to be worse. Right. What do you say to that? Being away from your family, being away from society, being away from reality is more than enough but even in saying that what i did learn while being in prison is we're not the ones who was really in prison let me see let me get this straight i'm being fed three times a day regardless if i think it's great food or shit i got a place to lay my head i'm not paying any bills in here i'm just here I'm, i'm here my time has to be here meanwhile my kids are going to school every day having to deal with the questions of dang where your daddy at all that shit 
they're the ones that's really in prison. Yeah. I'm just in this facility. I'm just, my body is here. Yeah. This is where I just got to be, you know? So when those say that, you know, it has to be harder and everything, man, listen, based upon what? The, the, the fuck, what's going on in your life to determine that that this has to be harder, you know? It's a conversation point that I've, people have said, and usually it's like they read a blurb or saw a yeah. picture online of like how, you know, inmates are allowed X, Y, and Z. It's the same kind of mentality where it's like, well, I had to pay my student loan, so you should, right? right? Exactly. It, it's just a lack of empathy, knowledge, and compassion. I think there should certainly be far worse things for like a Jeffrey Epstein. But it doesn't mean let's beat these people to death. What is the goal? Are we giving these people a sense of purpose so that if they ever get out or whatever, like they can be an asset to our community or is it just to punish them? You know, that kind of punishment ideology comes straight out of religion, old school religion, without any kind of compassion. Also, if you're going to punish people like that so they're broken and then they cannot live outside the system, you are just saying that you're going to be paying for them to live in prison forever, Yeah, which I think financially might not be good for the taxpayer. Well, here's how it benefits in the long run. The majority of the people in these prison systems look, look like your boy. They look like me. Yeah, what, what, yeah, that's I mean, what if you is. had to guess, okay, the Morgantown federal prison that you were in, what was the makeup of it, roughly? Um, it was 1,300 of us. I'm going to go ahead and say... 85% black, 85% black, 5 to 10% Hispanic, 3% white, 2% um, maybe of, uh, of Arab background. So sadly, racists will say, see, black people commit most of the crimes. Oh, uh, really? Is that what they think? Hmm. That's, or maybe is it the fact that uh, we want to continue this, this never-ending cycle of keeping black people in the shit right. and give them bullshit. Um, I mean, I, some you can't, of the, <laughs> You can't have slavery anymore, but you can put them in prison. If it was Matt doing what LeJohn did, Man, yeah. the odds are pretty damn good. Yeah. Well, it just the difference different. of uh, cocaine charges versus crack charges. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Great example. That's a fantastic example because cocaine is, is more seen for the elite or the non-black choice is cocaine. And of course- Crack is is all the garbage down below. That's that's the blacks and people of color and everything else. So you get caught with a rock and everything. You get some serious time. Get caught with some coke. All right, listen. Hey, cut that shit out, okay? All right, fucking stop it. Right, go go ahead and back to your to your life. What was the worst part about prison? Being away from the kids, man. Feeling really shitty in regards to man. They have to live through this. I've been away for long amounts of time on set doing a film. <laughs> there's two different kinds of away, man. Being away, I was gone for 27 days doing two different films at one point, and boy, it's day and night difference in regards to the feeling of not having that close contact or, or just being able to communicate. And I talk to my kids, of course, every day, FaceTime and stuff while I was on set. Prison? When I could. Talk to them when I could. If I could. For people who've only watched it in TV and movies, which is a lot of us, what? how are you treated? One of the Good things about being in a federal prison is the fact that everybody knows, look, man, I'm trying to get the fuck out of here. I'm trying to go home. So let me just go ahead and do this time. And, and the administrators and the and the the COs or whatever, they know that too. Do what you got to do. And you and so you didn't have lifers with you? No. If I did, I didn't know it. Okay. And I highly doubt that. Because that, that is a big difference. A huge The difference. lifers are like, look, I'm already here. So if I got to yeah. shift somebody, I got to, you know. Exactly. Yeah. I had guys who had been places for a long period of time, then came there, and then still had to do some long time. Mm-hmm. I was down with a guy who had been down since 1988. And I, I remember looking at this guy like, what in the hell is this? 
this man going to do when he leaves this place? I mean, we're talking about we're, we're past pagers. We're talking about cell phones and, and just Internet and stuff. And just like, what the fuck is this guy going to do? Here to talk about his own personal story with incarceration and what he's done with it after the fact, Jonathan Charlet. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. So you and I started the conversation, and one of the things that you touched on from a very educated standpoint from your own personal experience and then studies that you've done afterwards, one of the biggest problems in our justice system today, at least on the institutionalized side of it, is privatized prisons. And you've experienced time in these privatized prisons. Can you share some of that story with us? Um, Yeah. Well, the first uh, what they call parent institution I was sent to was Lake Erie Correctional Facility in Conneaut, Ohio. When I was sentenced and went there, uh, they were operated by Management and Training Corporation. At the time, they were one of, I think, two or three privately operated state prisons in Ohio. And, uh, And then I was transferred to later to North Central, which is in Marion, Ohio. So while I was in Lake Erie, the contract uh, had expired for MTC to operate the prison, and it was like up for bid again. But they were also bidding on North Central down in Marion because the state wanted to turn that into a private institution as well. And they actually won out that contract. Joe, you were asking our last caller about, you know, why state prisons are typically worse than federal prisons. Right. At least from what I understand, Jonathan, please correct me if I'm wrong. You know, we just happen to be in Ohio. Ohio is at least they were the start of some of the first really bad things that happened with selling to private companies and contracting with private companies. Well, luckily, I kind of like got to get out of the mix before the kind of bad stuff really happened. So currently right now, Ohio operates 27 adult prisons and three for juveniles and uh, Lake Erie. So after I left, because the contract was up, they were looking for, um, you know, a better price to manage the facility. Uh, John Kasich, the governor, then um, decided he would just outright sell the prison, which has never actually happened in this country. Ohio has the distinction of being the first state to actually sell a prison to a private company. So they actually sold the land because how private prisons operate. They're basically kind of leasing the facility. Basically, the inmates are kind of like contracted a certain number. I forget what year I'm going to say it was in 2011. They sold Lake Erie Correctional Facility to CCA, which is, I think, the biggest private prison company. Let's talk about why privatized prisons are a problem. You know, some of the worst things about capitalism is it's all about money. So they actually, they, they want people to be incarcerated, stay incarcerated and go back and come on right on back again. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, exactly. Privatized prisons creates a need for prisoners. And uh, in this in this deal, this Lake Erie deal with Ohio outright selling it, it's a 20 year contract to manage a facility with a 90 percent bed guarantee. (laughs) And the the funny thing when it comes to CCA is that as soon as they got that contract, they added 300 new beds to the facility. So think about that for a second. It is essentially either way we have to pay them for 90 percent capacity in this prison. So we are going to do everything we can to make them earn that money. Mm -hmm. Because the more we send there, the better off everybody is. Other than, of course, the people and the families of the inmates. And then we got to go back to, wait a minute, how did they get here in the first place? Probably for some skinny-ass charges that wouldn't even get them probation otherwise. But we got to fill these beds up. 
Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that's the bullshit right there. Um, J- Jonathan, how did you find yourself vacationing <laughs> in, in one of these uh, fine facilities? Well, see, I had the weird and, and oddly fortunate kind of uh, circumstances to where I did everything backwards. Um, I uh, am a recovering alcoholic and addict. I've been sober 12 years now. Congratulations. Really that's awesome. awesome. Your work. Thank you. Uh, so the summer of 2008 was when I really hit rock bottom and I was just it was just really bad. And that's when I committed my crime. And um, to be a bit transparent, uh, my, my crime, what they originally charged me was aggravated arson. Basically, I, I caught a couch on fire in a house. Sounds like college. Right. <laughs> you know, I had I've always had kind of a bit of self-awareness about myself, very empathetic. And I know that really comes from film, having loved film and watching films and, and kind of discerning empathy from that. But um. I knew there was an issue, and so like they didn't have enough evidence to charge me at the time or kind of even arrest me or anything. Um, so I actually checked myself into rehab. So I, I actually went to a facility called Raymar in Akron, Ohio, and um, I've been sober ever since. So um, it was about a, almost a year sober when the crime finally caught up to me. What they do in criminal justice is they tend to um, overcharge uh-huh. so they can get a conviction. So they actually, because the house was split into three apartments, they charged me with three counts of aggravated arson. Wow. Which wow. I think is kind of funny, but I mean, it wasn't funny then, obviously. <laughs> Ain't funny now. How long did you spend in prison altogether? Well, I was originally sentenced to five years, and um, I was fortunate enough to really to only do half of that time. I was uh, let out on judicial release. When I got out, kind of having done things backward, I simply just returned to all the things I was actively already doing about recovery and mental health and finding jobs and stuff like that. And a lot of people leaving prison, they have no idea. There's no, there's not a lot of reentry programs and things like that. I was just lucky that I had already kind of started that before I even went. Did you go to like, you know, what they refer to as like a halfway house or anything afterwards? Or was it probation or anything like that? No, they just sent me straight home. Uh, <laughs> Don't pass go. Here's your 200 bucks. Good luck. We'll see you in six months. I mean, pretty much. Wow. They gave me a, a very outdated packet of resources for the county <laughs> I was arrested in, which is not the county I live in, and just sent me on my way. I actually had to call the probation office to set up my post-release control, as they call it, because mm-hmm. they didn't even have an appointment scheduled for me when I left. What is post-release control? Like probation, right? So what would have happened if you didn't call and set it up? Would they have just arrested you again? Yeah, I probably would have got a, a warrant or, I mean, who knows? Most sentences now have a period of post-release control after your sentence. So basically, you're being punished longer than the time you served in prison. Exactly, exactly. Mine's was three years post my release date. And and Jonathan shared with me earlier, which I, I could have not been lazy and looked it up myself, but the uh, recidivism rate in the U.S. is about 70% within five years. People go back. And what is really awesome is the three guys who we're talking to today who've been in prison, none of them went back. So let's talk about the private prisons. And, and I, you know, I realize you can't you personally don't have too much experience, but LeJohn can kind of shed a light on being in a federal owned prison. How is it different in your day to day experience in that prison? You are more like a product, like you're an Amazon warehouse and you are a product with a SKU number, right? <laughs> Basically, yeah. Well, I mean, it operates like any other prison. So I kind of had a unique experience of having been in 
a private-run prison and then sent to a state-run prison that turned private in the last two weeks I was in. So they, they operate pretty much the same. Oddly enough, the food is a lot better in private <laughs> prisons for some reason. They just need to take a picture of you eating the Subway footlong and put it on <laughs> yeah, the Yeah, they're like, hashtag this. <laughs> uh, I guess. Feeding inmates since 2003. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a really strange kind of thing. Um, under Ohio current law, actually, the state must contract two privately operated prisons provided they provide a five percent savings compared to state operated stuff wow which is kind of funny because in a sense so you have this private industry that is for profit they're trying to make a profit doing the work of the state for less than the state would would fund it for and so it's like how are you doing that and how and how are they doing it they're cutting they're cutting programs they're cutting staff cutting any kind of resources that actually benefit the inmates or maybe have some kind of uh as they call it rehabilitation aspect to it they're cutting where they can to save money because they're a for-profit entity we can't afford locks so you guys just need to stay in your cells and be honest <laughs> pretty much so were there any programs for education or arts or anything when you were in those privately owned ones I took a college class through Kent State. So there was there there wasn't a lot. One of my friends who I still am in contact with today, we both got shipped to North Central and um he was sent there for this specific program that the parole board wanted him to take. And oddly enough, like as soon as he got there, because Ohio decided to put that state prison up for bid to a private company, they ditched the program. And so basically they wrote him over there for nothing because the program had since been uh, terminated because the prison was going to go private. Oh, but they didn't know that it was terminated before they sent him? Well, yeah, you got to think about when it was when it was like government, things moved slow. So they already filed the paperwork. They weren't going to change the course of action. Then he gets over there <laughs> and it's like, oh, yeah, oops. Well, <laughs> right. you can, you know, oh, well, you hang out in <laughs> your experience in the privatized prisons. Do they give you any resources, like real resources or incentives not to come back? I mean, not really. I mean, other than some of the uh, people that they hire that are pretty awful. You think, you know, you're in a place with a bunch of people who criminal backgrounds that a society would deem as bad people. And half the time, they're not even the worst people in there. It's the ones that um, work there that are a little bit worse. Can you... Um speak more on that well back in lake erie when i was there i remember this one very young sergeant who was probably in his mid-20s and the only reason he probably got there was his mom was actually on the board and it, he was like a child any chance that he could mess with an inmate he would absolutely seize it and take it and they kept kind of like b bouncing him around to different pods and uh, different areas because he was just like so unruly wow. and this was a sergeant this goes to show like trying to get them in argument trying to get them in fights or just trying to belittle them or... i mean definitely any 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 reason that he could write you what we call a ticket which is basically you okay. get trouble in prison they write you a ticket any any reason he could he could write you a ticket he would try to find he'd provoke you and all that kind of stuff do they have barriers to become a prison guard like are they are there mental health checks or background checks or like for the police in this country and that is a very hostile environment at any given moment uh, honestly the kind of sad bulk of it i was kind of screwed up already before i even went having gone to prison and coming back out i was more screwed up coming out than i ever was before i went into rehab and that actually makes sense Man, how did you feel knowing that you were in there and this was you you were in the the bulk of the business end 
of, of the concept, if you will, of prison, the business end of it all? Well, basically, well, going into that, I was completely ignorant of it, completely ignorant of the concept that we have private for-profit prisons in this country. You took it upon yourself to rehabilitate even before you went in, but especially after you came out. Um, yeah, really, they just hindered your rehabilitation. You know, that's the problem. Prison, most prison in this country is not about rehabilitation. No. They, they can dress it up like it is. No. But it's not. It's about punishment. Yeah. And then it's about the bottom bottom line. I know, LaJohn, I hear you speak. You Both of you don't sound like violent people. <laughs> you don't sound like prison was, was necessary. It's just, um, can you speak on being in the same place with people who are violent offenders versus, you know, you set a couch on fire, LaJohn, you took some money, you took a loaf of bread to feed your family, basically. Like, um, you know. I would love to hear your thoughts on being in the same area with these rapists and murderers. It's a kind of odd thing about that. It's like when you're in there, you're there's a weird, it's a, a community, sense of community, oddly enough. Like everybody's doing their time, no matter what it is, you're all in kind of in this thing together. So there's really kind of no discern of like who these kind of people are, because for one, you're not necessarily seeing their crimes actively. You're just seeing them go about their daily life in prison. It's just like this contained little society of people who did bad things and now they're put together. And for the most part, those are kind of things that don't necessarily come to mind while you're in there. You're just you're in there doing your time and kind of what you did is inconsequential, really. Did it humanize these people to you? You know, I mean, so for me on the outside, I haven't been to prison. So I'm thinking, oh, a drug crime. You And you're you're soft spoken. You must be really nice and and docile and kind versus, you know, these rapists and murderers. But you say when you were there, you were just all in this shit together. Does that make you see them more as people or I mean? Oh, it absolutely did. Absolutely did. I mean, I've always kind of been. A very empathetic person, and I guess the friend that I spoke of before, his criminal record is is no joke. He was a, a bad mamma jamma, and he was one of the most kind, helpful people I met in there. I mean, so much so that I still talk to him today. I mean, he, in there himself, realized his wrongs and who he wanted to be as a person, and he became that person. And he does a lot of uh, mentoring programs in there and stuff now. There's so much information here and heartbreak and yet some inspiration. It's not like I specifically said, we're going to talk to these exact people. It's people reached out and Jonathan, you were one of them. And you're like, I have a story and I'd be happy to share it on your podcast. So when I posted like who out there is passionate about talking about prison reform and, and rehabilitation and, you know, the overall system. And it's funny because there's so many people who just paint with such a broad brush and people are like the the problem with prisons is they just don't have anyone like they're people people don't have family so they end up going it's like dude no the people i know do not fit this mold you're trying to like not everyone who goes to prison one not everyone deserves it two a lot of people are over sentenced as we've talked about but also three lejon you were raised by good people you had these things about you, you're not somebody who I don't trust. And even after you told me you went to prison, it wasn't like I started watching the silverware. You know, <laughs> people can fuck up. Yeah. I don't think- Wait, you have good silverware? <laughs> yeah. No, it's cheap as shit. Mm. It's Target. Um, nobody in this room 
is probably innocent of never committing a felony. We've all done stupid things. We've all gone through those spells in our lives. And so what I love is that we're breaking that stereotype. Yeah. No, that's, that's the absolute truth. And I, and I appreciate you for saying that. Another thing that doesn't happen in regards to that is the conversation with these same people, like what we're having right now. And after the fact, the man or the woman is completely different from the act. They're, they're not one and the same. Who's willing to take that time to sit down with individuals to really hear their story and really figure out, OK, what you did is one thing. But tell me about the man. Tell me about the woman. You know, are there people that you can draw back in your life that said, man, this person, these individuals really took the time to understand me outside of the SKU number or the, the, the number that was placed on me because of this crime? Do you have people that you can harken back to and say, yeah, I'm grateful for those people because they really took the time to understand the man? Well, kind of being in recovery, being sober, uh, AA is a you know full of a bunch of people who did some bad things and they all recovered from it. So basically when you go to an AA meeting, you're walking to a room of a, a bunch of former fuck-ups who took ownership of what they did and decided to get better. And there's like a bond over it. Like we understand what you did, but we don't care because we, we see who, who you are now. And that's what's important. And sadly in this country, um, I mean, the stigma, it, it never goes away. It never goes away, especially if you got a felony and Felony twos and ones can never be expunged. If you have multiple, they can never go away. That follows you. I'm sitting right here with a letter from uh, 2017. I'd went and uh, applied at Amazon to work in one of their uh, warehouses. <laughs> I was essentially hired in. And uh, part of that, obviously, is to run the background check. And they did so. And then they sent me this letter. And it, and the way they wrote it, it's really short, but it's it's like so offensive. So it says, as you know, Amazon.com Inc., blah, blah, blah. We now write to advise you an adverse action that Amazon has taken against you. It's interesting because it's uh, you were talking about how the prison are just former fuck ups and you're trying to get better and that they appreciate you for you. Yet after you leave the prison, you're just thought of as a fuck up. Basically, on paper, I mean, until somebody meets me and talks, talks with me, I'm a violent felon kind of moving forward, privatized prisons and kind of trying to do away with them. At the time of recording, this is late January, the president signed an order to try to get rid of some of it. But as you and I talked about before, it's just the tip of the iceberg and it's it's like a band-aid uh, to try to stop a dam. <laughs> or more so a pat on his back, <laughs> if I want to be a bit blunt. I mean, it's nice. Obama Obama tried to do that in 2016 before he left, and obviously the next administration kind of put a stop to that. But I mean, the percentage of federally operated uh, private prisons—I it, mean, it's 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 small. It doesn't really make an impact, and it doesn't cover any immigration detention facilities. Which, from what I gather, immigration detention facilities are run by private corporations, so it doesn't even begin to touch that or even go into that. So yeah, it's like a it's a nice idea and it sounds really good, but really it's more of just a pat on the back. Cause the bigger problem is we need to eliminate private prisons across the board at the state level, at the federal level, just across the board. It's creating a need for prisoners. They, this is a business that thrives on recidivism. I mean, and, and in a sense, that's just like, it is the core of evil and the evil of capitalism, basically. What do you want the average person like myself who hasn't been to prison to know about people coming out of the system in general? Because, again, people make a lot of assumptions. 
they certainly paint you in a certain way. And then also there's the idea that, well, anyone who comes out is is broken and there's no way they can ever be trusted again. Well, people coming out of prison, they're your brothers, your sisters, your mothers, your fathers, your uncles, your aunts, your friends, your neighbors. They're human beings. We're just all, we're all human beings and we all make mistakes. And some people make bigger ones. Some people get punished bigger for that. But in a sense, we're all human. And what I would love to see in, in this world, in this country, and what I try to do in my own life is we actively take an approach to care for one another. You, you'll see a lot less of this. If we get back to more of a sense of community and that it takes a village to raise a child kind of mentality, you, you will see a lot less of people acting out committing crimes, coming home and then screwing up again, going back. If you had people to lend a hand just to help. One of my favorite quotes from the Dalai Lama, he said, um, our primary purpose in life is to help other people. And if you can't help them, just please, please don't hurt them. Boom. Yep. Support, man. That That's, that's where it's all about for me. Uh, the, the support is so many people who lack the support beforehand and they damn sure lack the support after they got out. And if that was there, who knows? Who knows, man? And in, in addition to eliminating these private prisons, you're going to have to in turn get rid of these petty ass sentences for uh, a nickel bag of weed because they went hand in hand. OK, you had the nickel bag of weed and everything. You got guys going to prison for five years and stuff. So hopefully that happens, too. But the dollar reigns supreme. So we'll never know. Maybe prisons can get money for keeping people out. <laughs> you know it's funny that you're saying that but isn't that the truth yeah like there actually is incentive to keep people out and keep people productive in the workforce and in the community but oh, fuck that i want to make my money right i mean pretty much jonathan thank you so much for your time and i mean really coming at this topic from such a kind vulnerable and human uh, side of it where, uh, you know, people can't put you in that mold and, and don't let them. And we, we appreciate you uh, talking with us today. It was awesome. Yeah, thank you for having me. Back back to the in, in prison experience. What you put into it is what you're going to get out. The bad days were things happened on outside that I just couldn't do anything about. Day 139 when my children's aunt on their mother's side committed suicide. And the shitty feeling of man if i wasn't in here i because we were so close we were so damn close and i know for a fact I, I, I'll, I'll die with this feeling i could have helped i could have prevented this if i just could have been there you know they went at 118 my my uncle dying and and man it just this oh that would that one it just sucked man it just fucking sucked but i can also say that in being there it made me grasp this concept and really own it if these two hands can't touch it, can't put themselves on a situation, what can I do and, what, and why worry? And it may sound so minimal, but it's just the reality. If I can't physically put my hands on the situation to alter it, make it better or whatever, I can't sleep with a hard pillow and let it keep me up at night. Because one thing for certain, I ain't leaving this place. I'm here and, and it's, it's going to take care of itself one way or another. I, 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 there's nothing I can do. Right. I'm not there, you know. And I would spread that to other other inmates and everything, and 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 they felt they felt it as if it was worthy words for them as well. Did you then transfer that to life outside of prison? Yeah, 
Because, I mean, that's a great way to live if you if your mind can yeah. accept that. No, seriously. Because I, I have a real hard time with that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I try to. I'm trying to accept that. No, that's just the reality. If, if, if you can't touch it on your own, and yet to answer your question, I definitely uh, took that outside of prison. If, if you can't. If you can't physically do something to alter it, make it better, what the hell are you worrying about? You know, like I said, the the idea of punishment and kind of coming from the old school religion, the same idea that they think telling you, scaring you to being good so that you don't go to hell is kind of like <laughs> kind of what I feel like some of it's based on is they won't want to go back. Yeah. They'll be just good enough to not go back. We're not actually giving you any tools or resources to be a better person after the fact. What kept you from going back? Just time and understanding how quick it is. I mean, when I heard that we essentially only live 26,000 days, think about that. 26,000 days. And I, and, I, and I just burned 180 of them. Now, you want to do the math? It's like, oh, we still got a whole lot of time left. Sure. Okay. You can look at it that way. But a whole lot of time that I'm guaranteed, not at all. I'm not guaranteed this. Right. Yeah, and you're sleeping for a big portion of that yeah, anyway. Yeah, that's true. Cut that to like 13,000 days. <laughs> exactly, right. Yeah. yeah, especially if you take naps like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> that that concept and just the desire to do and be better for those who look up to me, mainly my, my children. The, I, I got to say, though, I'm grateful. I am beyond grateful. I do believe had I not gone, I'd be dead by now. Because I was on a path of just idiocy and just dumb shit, you know, um, walking around like I, I like I was just untouchable. The managers at Dave and Buster's are like, I have a tip. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Hello, FBI. <laughs> Calling with an anonymous tip. I'm picturing like that walking into the bar sequence in Goodfellas, but it's Dave and Buster's and it's him. He's like, that's Sammy Skee-Ball and he likes to... <laughs> <laughs> That's two shots, Tony. He gets <laughs> <laughs> and still Samuel Jackson's there. <laughs> Stacks. <laughs> yeah, shit. But uh, seriously, I, I, I'm I was beyond grateful for it. I was going to um community centers and shit, and and doing the hey, don't be like me. You stay in school speeches and shit, and knowing that I did something that make myself look bad, and then it can help somebody else. I don't have any problem with that. Knowing that my experience has helped other people, has helped the youth and helped even older people or whatever, I'm glad that I was able to take that time and use it for that. I had to be humbled, man. I had to, God knew what he was doing. I had to be sat down and just chilled because I, I was on a, a different kind of path. It was get, it was going to get worse as far as my unhumbled mentality. It's just funny, man. Everything is indeed happens for a reason because there's no telling where I would be, who I would be, if I would even be, had I not gone. Yeah. Life isn't this one thing. Mm -hmm. Life is a cabaret. Life is a cabaret. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's messy. It's tough. It's heartbreaking. It's well, beautiful. It's all of these things. Well, I think it has a lot to do with capitalist society. Yeah. Those of us in the professional field, you have a resume and you don't list. I got fired from this job on the resume. Mm. And with prison, it's like you got this black mark on your life resume. Yeah, you, you're an untouchable. Mm -hmm. That's that campaign, Uncheck the Box. There's a campaign yeah. where you don't have to, where right. they take that box if you've been convicted of a crime. And I mean, I realize that's a good start, but it's kind of like, why can't we talk about this? Right. If we looked at our like school records, our transcripts, and you had how many times Matt got suspended 
or <laughs> had detention or had to stay after class and watch the whiteboards, I, I'd be like prison, Mike. I'd be scary as shit. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's because like, okay, we'll accept this. We'll accept this, but we don't accept that. And obviously, it's all in context. Yeah, like super violent criminals and violent offenders. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there needs to be different things. But somebody like LeJohn, who didn't even embezzle or steal money, in my opinion. Technically. Technically. I'm <laughs> right. not saying he didn't do a crime. He did. But- it's not like he can't be trusted to work at the bank because he would rob the vault. Yeah, it's a completely understandable. I would, I would definitely consider doing that if that was something I could do. Joe's and asking I would, for tips. And and I feel like since I'm a little whiter, maybe I should just try it uh, now. But, yeah, but I, I don't know how to type that. We give you some cream. Good. We should. We can give you some makeup or some cream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just hair lighter. Yeah, perfect. Or or use Lindsay as a proxy. <laughs> Lindsay, I'll talk to you offline. <laughs> we we need to change the system. I would love to see it change. And I know that's crazy. It's like asking for world peace. But I think it starts with getting rid of privatized prisons because there's very few federal ones, but on the state level as well. Hmm. And then also they're starting to realize that people aren't happy with it. So they're starting to branch out and doing the halfway houses and starting to do like the juvenile facilities. We have to stop treating it with these capitalist ideals incentivized to incarcerate. Yeah, We should be incentivized to rehabilitate or to stop people from going there in the first place. Systemic racism plays into it. Classism plays into it. All of these things. We need to fix the system. But I, I think if we can reform even just rehabilitation, there's so many people who need to go to therapy. Let's not try to sprinkle some shit on it in the, on the back end. Let's let's make it unthinkable to even do these crimes in the first place. And then if you do, let's figure out the why, not fuck you, throw away the key. Yeah, that would be great. But unfortunately, that's taking a whole bunch of money out of a whole lot of pockets. End of 2020 and beginning of 2021, we've seen people starting to band together for the right causes and making shit happen. And I do believe it's not going to happen where it's completely changed 180 Mm. in our lifetime but we can start that change now we're already seeing it a little bit but we got to do more yeah i agree i have hope for it it's 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 a small hope but man how how many ways have we seen man just the power of the dollar bill just destroy reality and what should be reality you know it's it's scary and sucks there needs to be money to be made in compassion you know, like once you can make money, being a good person and like thinking about things long term yeah. and investing in your community, then people will. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. When I hear LeJohn's story and then I think about the things that I've done wrong and being in trouble, it's like, I don't think I'm a I'm an evil person. I think I'm somebody who fucked up. I yeah. think LeJohn fucked up. In the sliding door situation, you could have taken a left turn that day and ended up in the exact same spot. Exactly. And whether I'm in prison or I'm in a mental prison, I want to be seen as somebody who's growing. I think everybody wants to be seen as somebody who is growing from their experiences. With prison, a lot of this, it's like you're taking this small sapling of a tree and then you're just like stomping on it instead of like helping water it and make sure it gets the sunlight it needs to grow so it can be planted out in the field. <laughs> I think about the movie Murder in the First with Kevin Bacon. He stole $5 from a cash register to feed his little sister, got put in the system in Alcatraz and became a murderer. They created a criminal. And really, he was this guy who would never mentally and emotionally develop. He, he wasn't even bad. He was like a kid who never learned because he got arrested at such a young age for next to nothing. That's the thing. We might as well 
say anybody who's going to prison, just put a bullet in their head, right? Yeah, because we're not doing anything, like you said, to help them grow. It's a choice. You have to choose that. You you have to choose to say, okay, I'm not going to let, I'm not going to just be another number, another brick in the wall in regards to what they think I'm supposed to be. But again, the individual has to choose that. And it sucks when you don't necessarily have help from the outside uh, helping you make that choice. As a black man coming out of prison, the opportunities are even worse. They're even worse, man. It's just, it's just a reality uh, because the same guy who I was talked about went in, got out eventually and was making, I think, like 30 bucks an hour within a week and a half. <laughs> wow. So, uh, but no, thank you guys for, for listening and, 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 and being willing to listen because this is a part of the support and the after the fact work that needs to be done for people like myself and so many others who were in that process. Who, who are part of that and they sometimes they just want somebody to hear them out yeah it means, it means a lot and for those who have been there if you are there and they allow you to listen in prison to the podcast that's great and if you and, and those you know who are close to getting out or whatever you are so much more than your sentence that was a chapter of your life and now the next chapter will begin and make the best of that chapter and be the absolute best version of yourself because whatever it is whatever that you did that doesn't make you who you are we can't thank you enough for doing that and being willing to go there with this topic because a lot of people would be embarrassed or feel ashamed and, you know, never, never in this room, I'll tell you that. And to be honest, I'm a little disappointed that it wasn't more salacious, but nah. uh, man, thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you so much for There's always next time. Yeah, <laughs> Let's go commit a different crime. No, I mean, you know, thank you so much for doing that. Yeah. And I, I hope the listeners out there take this in and use it for good, not to judge. I also want to thank our guests. We had Jonathan, Judge Mike, Prison Mike, <laughs> and Dennis. Thank you so much, guys, for uh, calling in, for chatting with us, and enlightening us a little bit with your experiences. And then we also want to thank Keenan Rush for the music. Again, you can find him on Instagram at Keenan Rush, K E E N on Rush. You can find him on Apple Music and YouTube. Yeah. I broke that green side with the roof back. Down north side drive where they shoot back It get muddy, better lace up your bootstraps Or be the topic of discussion when the news cast I like to think that I can make the truth last Make your boo laugh, they call it the gift of gab Boulder crest roads where I learned to snatch and grab And I learned to run fast until that cop car passed Did you like this episode? Did you not? Let us know by giving us a rating, comment, share with a friend, and a subscription even if it's a hate subscription. When they make the rules up and we bent it, tried to keep us locked out the rooms and we went in. Hey, I'm right now, Wesley Chapel in the Civic. Love some people around the corner about to pay their ass a visit, um. I like to think that I can make some moves. Make a move, man, make your moves. Are you moving? We still land at summer nights with the movies. I like to think that we can have a good time. Turn a good day to a good night. What do you say? Hop in my ride. We still land at summer nights. Now we cruising. So we just went there. Now you can go to the goingtherepodcast.com for links to our socials and all the places that you can hear the podcast. This podcast is made possible by its hosts and Frame One Media in association with Lindsey Baker, Tyler Kubisti, Michael Madgar, Joe Kelly, and Bobby Thomas. Uh,